we're delighted to have her niece with us today. Niece, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We're glad you're here. And uh, looking forward to this conversation. So let's uh, let's just jump right in and, and start with uh, how you came into being the cover. What brought you into where where what life brought you into the world of the cover? Well, there's probably a lot of things. I want to just stick, stick with this. Okay, so uh, I fell into the grace of a higher power. Um, I did that following a pair of blue jeans. Um, there was uh, people around me getting sober, and um, I never heard of AA. I never heard of recovery. I'm a, you know, where I'm from, you get the hot toddy when you're two, you know what I mean? So, uh, but in, you know, having a few friends that were getting sober and clean, I met a guy who was in recovery. And it was just the right thing to, uh, you know, I think the gods kind of dangled him out there like a carrot. That was the exact aspect to go for. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. so, that's how I got there. Following the guy. Following the guy. Okay. What, what did you need to come from? What, 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 um, I'm a drug addict, pill headed, uh, alcoholic. Um, I'm in recovery from a lot of things, mostly myself. When did I start? I think a like, conscious decision to use and drink alcohol started around 12. What about you? Almost what? What? Something, something happened? Um, 12 year old starts drinking. Mm-hmm. Nothing particular happened. Actually, that was a very, probably one of the best years in my childhood. My mom married a really good man, and he, he was really a good man. He was kind, and um, our life seemed to be finally going in the right direction as a kid, you know. Um, I think I was around the you know, the right, uh, what's, what am I looking for here? The right um, kind of people just to get into it, you know. Um, we grew up poor. Uh, most of my friends were um, older than me. I never related to people my age. So, you know, I believe this with all my heart. A lot of things that children do is learned behavior. Even if they didn't learn it at home, they learned it somewhere. And I think for me, a lot of um, behaviors I have that young, I learn them. Now, with that being said, I come from a long line of drunks and a long line of dopeies and a long line of carnies and gypsies. And, you know, there's some stories to be told about my family. Um, yeah. And, and just to give you a, a small glimpse of that, my great-grandmother in 1935 when Dr. Bill and Bob were writing a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, she was breastfeeding one of her 12 kids for running moonshine. So that just, that's a small glimpse into a life that I grew up in. Uh, The life that I lived with the drugs and the alcohol and the uh, prostitutes and the uh, transgender the queens from out of the street, that was the strippers, that was everyday life and that was normal. I'm drinking and partying and, and just, that was normal life, that's what everybody was doing, so I thought. Okay. So, 
So you just kind of are raised into that lifestyle. Absolutely. Okay. And so what were you, so that's you started 12, so where, where'd you go from there? Where, where did it take you? Uh, to be honest, um, I'm in all sorts, of, all sorts of sorted places from there, but I didn't know, uh, I will say this, but I, I did not know that I really had a problem until I was like 27 years old. So from 12 to 27, let me just tell you, I was engaged twice, married twice, had two children, um, wanted so desperately to be in the Navy. I joined the junior military, then I dropped out of school. Um, home was very abusive, even after the physical abuse stopped, uh, which stopped around 12. The, the verbal, mental abuse never stopped, uh, even though the sexual abuse had kind of come to a standstill in my life. Um, so I didn't know. Oh, I, I was sexually abused from probably from infant. I can remember being three the first time and being 12 the last time. But you know, and then I kind of wondered maybe I wasn't still sexually abused after that, but only signing up for it because it's you know like that's what you're supposed to do. Okay. Family, uh, friends, friends, boyfriends, um, trainers. You know, that's really cool. Oh yeah, come on now. Okay. Um, you know, so yeah, lots of lots of different. What happened to uh, Let's see. So um, I was engaged uh, to somebody, and um, at twenty, at twenty-seven. Well, it actually started when I was twenty-six. It's kind of crazy how it happened. I'm real grateful that it did, but um, I had a surgeon on my jaw, and uh, they put me on painkillers. You know, a couple of months into that deal, um, I'm hooked on pills. I don't know that I'm hooked on pills. I have no idea, but I know that I'm having to take those pills and I'm still doing all my dope and I'm still drinking my bottle of wild turkey every day. And I think I'm functioning. I think I'm maintaining. But um, the doctor couldn't give me any more medicine. You know, I was healed and um, I. I and I lost all the eggs in my basket. And by this point, the two children are already not living with me, even though I fought like hell to have a shared custody with them. Uh, fiance number three, almost husband number three, can't sit in a room with me. I am extremely violent. I am extremely angry. Um, and all the love in the world for my children and this man and, and even some of my family members wasn't enough. And I tried to check out six, seven, two hours to come on a bathroom floor. And what I can tell you about that is I heard this very loud clang as my eyes closed, like the prison doors closed. You know, and, uh, 
There was nothing on the other side. Nothing on No, nothing to see. Total black, total silence. And I was there for a very long time. And when I woke up, I was embarrassed and I was Anyway, so having uh, having that breakdown and coming to from that uh, drug-induced coma, I really thought for the first time, like, there's really something wrong with you. Although people had been saying for years, like, what's wrong with you? You are crazy. You know, I used to laugh at those statements. I used to think that, oh, yeah, like, I'm a crazy girl. That's cool. Let me ask some clear my question. In that coma, did you see the other side? Well, the other side for me was black and empty and abyss of nothingness. I didn't see no white lights. I didn't see any. I didn't see no demons. I didn't see angels. I saw nothing. That's an interesting thought in my head quite often. Because uh, you would think that, that that's really not so scary, but it literally scared the shit out of me. Couldn't shut it up. Yeah, it, it scared me. And I was so selfish when I uh, attempted my suicide. I did a whole video recording and apologizing to my kids and the whole. I'm sorry, I'm worthless. I, you know, the list of shit that I said on there, like I can never take that back. But I did learn from it. When I came to, the one question I had to say to myself was, there's something wrong with you because people do not know. See, all the way up to that point, I literally believed that every woman was being beaten behind her own front door and everybody was drinking and doing drugs and you know um, i knew that being raped and molested i don't really like to use molested some people are offended by rape but i to me molesting a child is sugarcoating the word rape it's rape i don't care what you call it um that being said, you know, I just kind of assumed that the whole world was really operating like that, but nobody was talking about it because I grew up in a world with what goes on in this house stays in this house. And so, but coming out of that blackness, I there was no doubt in my mind, like, there's something wrong with you. You better go see a doctor. I did. I did go see. Actually, I went to a uh, family services is who I called. Uh, I, I actually asked my sister, who um, had suffered from multiple personality disorder, uh, tried to check out several times, was been locked up in uh, asylum uh, as a result of the way we grew up. And, uh, she gave me the phone number for family services. She said, start there. <coughs> And uh, so I called and I went in and, you know, it was kind of weird, like I'm just sitting in front of somebody that I don't know. But at the same time, it was just kind of simple to say, I tried to kill myself and I don't know why I live a you know, normal life. I just 
I felt like was normal. And she started asking me some questions. And after about a few hours of sitting in her office, she looked across the desk and said, I can't help you. Really? Yes. She was just like that. She followed that with, I'm going to make a phone call to a nation. That is scary. That did not stop and it did not stop the dream. And it did not stop me from getting on a stage every single day as a stripper. But I listened to what she said. And she did a rush um, assessment on me. Usually it takes six months to get an assessment. I was in in six days. And uh, that was a blessing. I got the best doctor there. Right? She, she was awesome. She's definitely a catalyst to me getting into recovery. You know, it's just one of these, there were so many little things that led me to getting into recovery. But um, I, of course, I had a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a counselor. and a therapist and apparently there's a little bit of difference between each one um, but um, I was uh, diagnosed uh, bipolar uh, OCD suicidal homicidal um, because I remember I tell you I was very angry and violent uh, uh, I could damage a person I was dangerous, not just to myself, I was dangerous to other people. And thank goodness that that never stemmed out onto my kids. I never violently abused my children, thank goodness. Um, but, uh, so, that's a lot of shit to swallow yeah. about yourself. So, so you're, you're, you're under the scare that is dropped to almost a year to actually get into the rooms of recovery from there. Um, it's, you know, like little things would happen. Uh, so they put me on a lot of medication and like, I'm a, tr I'm a true believer. If you truly need it, by all means, please take it because you may not be on it for the rest of your life. I can tell you that I'm medication free today. Um, but there was a lot of intense outpatient therapy um, and how I how I actually ended up making a meeting is this particular doctor kept telling me statistically I shouldn't have lived past 16 years old and now I'm 27 and um, and it kind of makes sense like after sitting with her for so many days in a row and this doctor so many and hearing these things like do you think that that's okay and and, and feeling hurt in my heart, you know, um, and, and feeling that stuff that comes with that life that I grew up in and that I was now participating in. Um, did you bring almost that? Most of it, yes, I did. I did. Absolutely. Stripping is an art. 
stripping his knowledge, and that is where my mind was. Fancy knowledge. Stripping his knowledge. Um, but people do what they have to do. My mom was a stripper. My mom was a prostitute. Uh, my grandmother was a stripper. My grandmother was a prostitute. Never looked down on those people. I admired them. I respected them. Um, and that was just kind of something that would be with people. You understand? So, kind of skip you forward into actually getting into recovery. This doctor's telling me I need to make survivor's movies. You gotta remember, I come from a home where what happens here stays here, and you don't go and tell the world your shit. And um, just so happened that before this particular breakdown, I had a very good friend that was using needles. And uh, I was like, man, that's like self-mutilation. What do you do? Go get some help. And I thought, like, when she went and got help, like, she went and got into a hospital somewhere. Um, she didn't. She went to a detoxing and went into recovery. And uh, so her and I, you know, we're, she's now on an outpatient type thing. And, you know, we're talking. And she's never telling me you have a problem. She's never telling me you're a drug addict. You're, and I probably would have listened to her if she would have said those things. But I think she knew that it was such a fragile place for me to be because I am a perfectionist. I want it perfect. I want to look perfect. I want to be perfect. I want to do everything perfect. And if I can't, I can't. And, and, and that's even still today in some areas of my life. But she knew it was fragile because. Here I was having to hear that I was really mentally messed up and I wasn't, you know, all that in a bad situation like I thought. And I wasn't the strongest woman on earth like I thought. I wasn't the prettiest woman on earth. I mean, I was a model, I was in commercials, I was on radio. I, was on, I mean, like, I had a career in the industry, you know, not just swinging off that pole. I was known for one of Miss Texas dance-offs, first place, beat out 500 women in a strip contest. They actually have those. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, people go, oh, what? They actually have those. I beat out 500 women in that contest. Got my name, put in magazines, all kinds of stuff. So I wasn't all those things that I thought I was, that I had created this um, character you know, my this character that I had become, um, and I'm finding out that actually I'm a communicator instead of caring and I'm tired of communicating. My friend is in recovery for the first time ever since I've known her. She's like all happy, life is great, shit's going on, and I was like, I think I could kind of go check out that thing you're doing and those meetings. She's like, oh yeah, come on, you know, inviting me right in, and I was just like, mm, I don't think what they're talking about because I don't hear anybody, you know, so, um, but she didn't give up on me. She said something to me that said, uh, I got really jacked up. So very respectful of other people's, like, if you don't smoke, I won't smoke around you. And if I need to go smoke, I will try to be fresh when I come back into your area right. so that you don't smell it. So, I got really jack up one night, really, really high, really, really drunk. Uh, ended up miles away from home, 
don't know how I got home that day. I know that I drove a bit. Um, and I just remember looking at it. I'm so sorry you had to see me that way. I'm just like, I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed in the disease. There were just little things like that just kept going. And then she introduced me to this guy. He was a and he was really similar to because our first date was to go watch his mom pick up an eight-year kid. And I'm high. I'm high as a kite going in this meeting. Like, seriously done probably three or four A-balls at this point. And uh, my mom just hugs me like, oh, so glad to have you here and just real welcoming. And uh, I'm not really sure exactly how it came about, but him and I seemed to not be working. I really wanted it to work. And I was like, I'm getting on this wagon with everybody else's on. So I went to that meeting and I found the meanest, loudest black woman in the room. And I always could hear her say, Relapse is not a requirement. And I was like, well, I'm going to do something with this. And uh, I was like, give me balls. She said, you got some balls. I said, fine, thanks. She said, white girls don't talk to me. And they definitely don't ask me to sponsor myself. I don't give a fuck what color you are. I think I'm dying. And I'm willing to do whatever. And uh, it started from there. So that's how I got into it. And uh, I think the dogs really helped me uh, stay in it. Because two weeks later, they blessed me with a pregnancy that I damn sure didn't deserve. And I had a beautiful daughter that was 21 on December 7th as a result of that pregnancy. Uh, and she is my angel. And when I got pregnant with her, I did see the other side. That's a crazy story. I know, but it is a true story because I got out of bed the next day and looked right at my good friend who knew me better than anybody in the world. And I said, you know, I'm superstitious. Well, she said, yeah, but you can't be superstitious and then recover. I said, well, we have a problem because I'm pregnant. How do you know you're pregnant? Because the dog told me that. Sure enough, one month later, one of the other, what is that, a pregnancy test came back positive. So what came next? Where, 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 where do you go from there? Uh, from there, lots of things happened. Uh, you dancing? No, I didn't. I didn't stop dancing, and I didn't stop waitressing, and I didn't stop bartending. Um, I, uneducated, you know, I dropped out halfway through the first semester of ninth grade, um, so I wasn't really sure what to do. Um, I was trying to be a good parent to my first two children. I was with the guy that I chased into class, um, it was his baby, uh, and, and we actually did not get back together until after she was born, about a month or so after she was born. Um, I would go to work, I was a bartender uh, for, for my end of my pregnancy, 
and I would go to work, and then I would get off work, and I would make a meeting. Before I would go to work, I would make a meeting. And if I was off, I'd make a meeting today. And I just did whatever they told me to do. And there were a lot of people that were very instrumental. Uh, one of the things that they taught me right out the gate was that I could have fun. And I didn't stop stripping because I love to dance. It, mm -hmm. is, uh, it is a free place for me to go. It is the whole world stops. The voices stop, the world stops, all. I don't think about nothing when I'm dancing. And that's still true to this day. And uh, we had big dance and recovery, and uh, so, you know, old timers were like, come on, girl, let's go. Come kick out here. And I'm like, out there just dancing in the middle of some old shack of a place that we had meetings in, but I was having the best time of my life. And, and uh, uh, my little girl was born. I'm with the dad. We're, you know, trying to make some progress. Uh, he's all of the things that I did not need in my life. But um, he was a liar and a cheat and amongst many other things. He was also very much hustled, but he was sober at the time. And uh, he was challenging for me. He would say things to me that would make me really step up my game. So first off, let me tell you how rebellious I am. I'm having an argument with this guy, and he tells me something about some bullshit that they say in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous about myself. No one will ever use that book against me again. And uh, meanwhile, I'm trying to work the steps, but because I had drank and used and, and wasn't educated, I really couldn't read that well. So I started attending meetings at this place where they had big book numbers, and uh, they would break it down. Like, I can tell you definitions from the 1935 Webster Dictionary, and you guys were breaking it down so good. And every night I drive all the way, you know, across town, go to this meeting. I'm the only one of two women in the whole building. We had to get special permission to go into this meeting. Why? Because it was an all men's club, and there was over 150 to 200 male convicts. Going to this meeting. But we promised that we would sit in the back, we would not talk to anybody, we would not flirt, we would not get phone numbers. And I was willing. I was willing because I wanted to know. Somebody needed to teach me this book because it was never going to be used against me again. And then after that meeting, we were going to go all the way back town and we would go to an all women's detox room. And we would break it down to you. And, uh, you know, there were times where I actually had to push my little minivan back. <laughs> so desperate to do it, you know, uh, the desperation of a drowning man. And, and that, that was true for me. That's the kind of desperation I wanted to do it perfect. And so, um, you know, I can go through many, many things, but that's the initial first year, uh, second year. Wasn't easy. I was stripping. I was struggling. My my baby was sick, my, uh, you know, so-called husband is, uh, he's injured, he can't work. Um, it's, you know, so many things were happening. I'm still not educated, I don't know what to do. Ended up working in a transmission shop down on 53rd Street in Galveston. Don't know if you've ever been there, but there's guys in the middle of the street swinging at demons. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, the prostitutes are coming in and out, my boss, he's a drunk. 
you know, just little things that I would see and I would be like, I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to be there. And it's by no means judging them because it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see a beautiful young 18, 19 year old girl walk into a greasy, nasty transmission shop to sell her ass in the bathroom in the back to the nastiest old drunk in the neighborhood. That is heartbreaking. Just to get a car fixed, just to get a car fixed, just to get her neck fixed, just, you know, whatever. You know, that's heartbreaking stuff. Some grown man out there in nothing but his boxer shorts, literally fighting the demons, physically swinging and falling to the ground like he's being beaten to death. That's sad stuff to watch, and I, I didn't want that. And by that time, I was off medication. The doctor had worked with me very closely, and when I tell you they had me on medication, they had me on Prozac, Trenzone, Depakote, and Lithium. I had a pill to get up, a pill to go to bed, a pill to be nice, a pill to eat, a pill to, I mean, literally, I had a pill to be nice. Pill to be nice. Yes, absolutely. Prozac is the wonder drug for me. <laughs> You're very, very nice to people. So, how are you, how old are you now? I'm 48 years old. Well, no, no, and sobriety. I sobered up when I was, I sobered up on March 10th of 1998. So I was 27, and um, by the time I got off of medication, I was almost 29, if not already 29. And I became a speaker. Um, they started moving me around, and I would share my story. And for some reason, men and young people could hear me. And so I got asked to speak all over, and um, there's a tape circulating somewhere with my name on it, and um, just a lot of things. You know, I really pursued recovery. Uh, I really pursued uh, giving it away, trying to help other people, because it, I really believed it would save my life. <sighs> Confidence. In recovery, in your addiction, because of addiction, worst thing that ever happened to you. In my addiction or because of my addiction? Either one. Um, the worst thing I think that ever happened to me in my addiction is my second husband was murdered. Uh, we were actually in a separation and was a very, very abusive man, and he had a lot of control over me. Um, and we were trying to reconcile after being separated for almost a year. Um, and a young girl killed herself in our house. Um, and her family blamed everyone who was there. And it basically was an eye for an eye type situation, and they murdered my and the last thing I had said to you was, no. um, the last thing I said to him on the phone earlier that evening was, I don't think I should see you because yesterday you got angry and it scared me. And you really need to get help. And then I spent the next six months of, the, of my life under investigation for murder um, because he was murdered by a woman. Um, or suicide. 
something that needs to go somewhere. Actually, that's the hardest thing I went through. Um, the hardest thing, the worst thing that happened to me, actually happened to me, is um, I was in a motel room one night uh, with some friends and. Um, uh, you know, we're trying to score the deal and get things done, and nobody really knows who we are. And uh, dealer shows up at the door, and I open the door, and I get the 12 gauge shotgun laid between my eyes. And, uh, my friends in the bathroom right now, so security told me that they were about to die. And uh, probably the worst thing. Um, when I tell you that the gods watched after me for a long time before I got to recovery, they did. They did. Um, there's a part in, 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 in doing the four step they talk about uh, in recovery, they talk about let's look at the record. And a lot of people just automatically assume they should only be looking at their own record. Um, it did not work that way for me. I looked at everybody's record in my life and I could see how. Alcohol and drug addiction had always affected me, even when it wasn't my addiction. And I could see how alcohol and drugs affected me. And I had a whole record of things that I had done to myself, that I had done to other people, that I could look at and, 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 and see the, the nasty parts of me and see the good parts of me. But I also had to look at the record of the gods that have protected me. What are, what are the good parts? What are, what are the gifts of the journey that creation brought? Oh, my biggest gift is I can make somebody feel loved when nobody else does. I, I, I don't know where I got that from. I think it's really important. Uh, I can get people to listen and love me because I was a husband for a long time. <laughs> Or if I'm just blessed, you know, if I'm meant to do something to help others, you know what I mean? I, I think it's a big part of who I am. Um, that if I literally, that is my biggest gift. I, 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 I have the ability to help others when nobody else can. I can get you to listen. I can get you to pay attention. And I can also check your ass and still make you feel loved. Um, my kids wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but <laughs> they know their mom on that stuff. With this gift, what do you want to do with your dream? What do you want to do with your dream? With the story and your journey? How do you want to It's not how I want to, it's something that I do. I, I, every opportunity that I get, and it doesn't matter where I am, I could be at my job, I could be at church, I could be in a bar, because I still go to nightclubs, I still go dancing, I, I still do all that stuff. Like strip. No, no stripping, too old for that. I am not necessarily too old for it, I just think that I'm probably not in shape for that situation. <laughs> I'll cut down a tree for a little bit, but I'm not swinging off no poles no more. Uh, but uh, any opportunity I get to um, 
when I look across the room or look around me, I can always find that one person that feels like they don't fit in, or they feel less than, or they don't seem to be having a good time, or they're not connected, and I try to make that happen. I try to make every person, even people I don't like, feel connected. Because loneliness is a disease all by itself, and I know what it's like to be in a room full of feel like I'm the only one in my world. So um, that's that's a big dream. Uh, I, I want to be able to, um, when I die, I want people to say, she loved me no matter what I did. No matter how far down I went, she loved me. She taught me how to love myself. She made me feel good about myself. That's, that's who I want to be. And I work with that diligently. And I love to give back. I love it. It makes me feel whole. That's the selfish side. That's the selfish thing. You know, because it, it makes me feel great. So, stay there. What, 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 just say to yourself, so what is, what still needs to change? Where, where, where's your home to grow? Where, yeah, I mean, you come to the I'm an asshole. <laughs> I am. Um, be, well, because, so, there's the truth, and then there's the real truth, and then there's the raw, real truth. And I'm the raw, real truth a lot of times when I probably shouldn't be. Um, you know, because not everybody is, you know, solid on the outside. Um, I'm probably more of an asshole to my own kids. Uh, you know, I tell them all the time, I'm raising you to take care of yourself when I'm gone. Um, I have friends that will literally pick up the phone and go, I know I'm going to be asking you this question, but I need you to be honest with me. And I will rip the scab off. That mask that people like to wear, I'll take it off of you. And you call them an asshole? Yeah, I do. But at the same time, I can look at them and say, I'm not really trying to be an asshole. I love you and I don't want this to happen. There's probably a softer way to do that stuff, but I don't have it in me. So if I could work on something, I'd probably be not to be such an asshole. You know, and I tell you this because my daughter actually just did it to me. She ripped off some scabs, and I was like, oh, how dare the girl like wound it now, you know? Uh, but she didn't say anything that wasn't accurate or true. And she didn't say anything that wasn't loving. What is it? The four agreements, kind, loving, um, I can't even think of the other two, but those two ones, I'm missing the kind part. Just not always the softest person to talk to. What do you think got you through to, to, to keep, keep you here? I think that, all the uh, shit that, that, that you I think that, uh, I think that, uh, and, and you know, oh, listening to somebody else just say this earlier, um, being an alcoholic and a drug addict was a benefit because I, um, a human being can only go through so much before they break. And I went through more shit by the time I was 12 than most people go through in a lifetime. I experienced and survived and went through things that 
human beings shouldn't ever have to see or hear or go through the punishment of child. So, alcohol and drugs made it really easy to shut that world out. Um, create this superior being I thought I was, you know. Um, it also, you know, even because in my addiction, I was still being abused. In my addiction, my husband was abusive. Both of my first husbands were very, very violent men. And, um, oh, they pick you. You can line a hundred women up against the wall. You can line a hundred men up against the wall. An abuser is going to pick the one guy or the one woman that's been abused every time. If they are an abuser, it's like they can see it. You know, and I learned that in therapy. You know, put me in a room full of 100 women, and although I haven't been abused in over 25 years, longer than I've been sober, <coughs> an abuser can pick it. The good thing is, is that I also now know how to see the abuse. I didn't see it. You were always Mr. Trunny and Mr. Wonderful. But I'm not see it. Oh, absolutely. I see a flag go up, you gotta go, dude. Just have a nice life. Take that shit somewhere else and go find for Um and, and it's amazing. So many people that you would just think, oh my god, that's everybody thought my husband was always wonderful. I said, oh, so wonderful. While they're killing me at home, um, but that's uh, through all the stuff, through all the abuse, the rape, uh, all of that. I think the drugs and the alcohol is what uh, got me through till I made it to that doctor that I tell you she saved my life. She did because she helped me understand that all that stuff was my fault and all that stuff. Um, wasn't okay and it was okay to be angry but what wasn't okay is how I was yelling with the anger and why was I angry you know I didn't even know why I was angry <laughs> I'm looking at a lady right here when I was 11 years old I whipped the living shit out of a bus driver on a bus on the way to school but look at 11 took her smooth out like literally, you know, uh, it, you're looking at the same woman that at 26 years old dropped a lady in the hospital with a coma and half of her face removed. I was so angry and so violent. And all of that came from that abuse and the fear that came with that abuse. And, and, and I tell you, um, now in my life, that is the first thing I look for. When things start kind of getting shaky, I go, what are you afraid of? What's scaring you right now? You know, and, and a lot of times it's not like right on the surface. I kind of got to dig for that stuff. Um, after getting sober, how have I coped and survived with um, all that stuff? It's a tool. That abuse, that rape, that... Um, Spiritual abuse, that mental abuse, it's all tools for me now. Because I can sit down with a woman and I can convince her to leave that fuck you. I can sit down with a child and they 
can talk to you about what's happening to you, and I can give them hope. I can sit down and I have upside down with some of the biggest, scariest men I've ever laid my eyes on, and I can bring them to a place of tears because they know they're not alone. They know it. They can feel it, and it helps me to be a captive to what they're going through. It's very empathetic, you know, and they can see that. You know, just like an alcoholic can help an alcoholic understand what's happening to them way before a doctor, drug addict, people that have been through and stuff I've been through. When they have somebody sitting in front of them, I'm lucky to have a face. There's five scars on my face in this South Africa. Um, I'm lucky that I survived. Don't get in front of me vehicles, keep on getting up here. Um, so, oh yeah, and then they started talking. And, and, and it's amazing when you watch the, that blindness just come right off their soul, you know, just you know, watch it leave on it, and it turned the light on it. And, and then at the same time, it's like, yes, this is wonderful, you know. And they know somebody hit, somebody loves them. Somebody's judgment because they were abused. Or they chose Mr. Wrong or any of that stuff. So that's how I survived it too. Yeah. And yes, I think the gods had a lot to do with that. I don't think they necessarily are to blame for everything. But I think the gods have allowed me to survive things that most people wouldn't, so that I could uh, use it to help other people. And I, and, I, and I love that. I love it. My dad, I didn't grow up with my dad like it. I would have raised you, you would have grew up different. And I said, well, that's a wonderful thought. But I'm sure glad I grew up the way I did because it made me who I am. And today I love myself. I can appreciate you like so. Thank you. Yeah, your body is better than broken. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I'm broken. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks.